You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, so we're going to get into two topics tonight that don't seem like they connect at all, and maybe they don't. Maybe it's just the Enneagram for me having to be unique by putting these topics together, but uh, I often have found them important uh, to kind of reflect on in a weird kind of way, so uh, let's kind of hop to it. We're doing a series on worship, and already you're like, how does worship go to VMA, Jamie? You'll see. Uh, but um, basically, we're, we're going to talk about like getting to the sacred place where God is, because that's my main goal with worship. We've talked about worship in a few different ways throughout the last few months. And tonight, I want to talk about the intimacy of God, because that's what I strive for. I strive to help people get to the inner courts where God dwells, where his presence is, where it can be felt, where it can be realized. And we've all kind of been there before where we've gone to church and left and we're like, wow, God was just really there today. And that kind of offends some Christians like, well, God's everywhere. And like, I get that. He is everywhere. But like, we've all had that sense before where we went to churches like, no, like he was really there. <laughs> there were people getting extra healed. There were people getting slain in the spirit, falling on the floor. Demons were being cast out. Signs and wonders were happening. There was a glory cloud in the room like... The list goes on of phenomena that happens when the intimate presence of God really is poured out. I mean, you can go Google some of them. Even on YouTube, you can look up uh, um, Bethel Glory Cloud, for example. There's a phenomenon where gold dust appears in people's hands during worship. And if you go look up Bethel, which writes like half the worship songs church is saying, you'll actually see one scene where they're worshiping and just gold dust is like floating out of the air. People are like recording it. They don't know what to do. Like it's just crazy. But those are those are the places that like I strive to get to. And, and I don't have to have all the signs and wonders and all these things happening. But I want to get to that place where God is speaking, where He is evident, where His presence is just being poured out on people to such an extent that they just know that He's there. That's what I hope worship will always be. And there's a difference between that kind of worship that's trying to get to the presence of God and a kind of worship that is just trying to play a few songs. And so if you wonder why we drag it out, it's because we're not just trying to sing songs. We're trying to get somewhere. If you wonder why Spare Oom, our, our Wednesday night worship service, can go from nine until whenever, it's because we're not trying to just play a few songs. We're trying to get somewhere. It's because the intimate presence of God is the greatest thing that you can find. And when I think of that, I, I, um, this is where we get a little more adult, is when I uh, think about kind of the intimacy that humans pursue so often, which would be sex, right? Trying to find another person in which they can be completely and totally open with, and not in a perverted kind of way, but in a way that is, is godly, uh, between a husband and a wife in this way in which you know all of me, I know all of you, and we just kind of give ourselves to one another, and there's this intimacy found in that place. And I know that sounds like that can get perverted for a second because Jamin was talking about God. And I'm not talking about like perversion with God. I'm not talking about sex in some spiritual way or anything like that. But I would tell you a little bit about resurrection, if I were. J 
Jesus says that in the resurrection life, there's no such thing as sex. And that seems weird to us because that's like such the common thing that exists today. In fact, there are other religions that pride themselves on that there's more sex in heaven than there has ever been, right? But the Christian religion says, no, actually it doesn't exist. There's no need for it anymore. Which then causes some people to be like, well, do I even want to go to heaven if one of the things that I enjoy so much is not even present there? And there's got to be an answer here. Why is something that we enjoy so much on earth not existent in heaven? I think the answer is found in the fact that sex has always been a signpost pointing towards something greater. I think that greater thing is God. To be fully known by another person and still be loved. To be completely abandoned and giving yourself over to God. Sex in this life would be a signpost to the intimacy and fullness of God's presence in the next. And I don't say that in a perverted way. In fact, there's a cartoon I love that I've watched every episode 8 million times. It's not an overstatement. I've literally watched it 8 million times. I know it's impossible, but I've done it. And uh, um, there's like one particular episode that I hate because they try to pervert, they bring in a God character and try to pervert love in that way. And that's not at all what I'm talking about. But if sex does not exist in the life to come, then what is its replacement? And I think the answer is that we are fully known by God, and that is the greatest experience that we've always been looking for. And a lot of times people point to sex as like, nah, it's just a physical thing. That's just uh, about this emotional connection with another person, and, and it's visual and things like that. But that's not even the truth for men. I think we've been lied to. Uh, men have so often been told. I know when I was in high school, I was told, Men think about sex every, like, four seconds. That's science, is <laughs> uh, what I was told. If you weren't, you're lucky that you weren't given a lie like that. Um, uh, but uh, where was I going with that? What? I'm Jamin. I was just going with it. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, men have been told that that's just kind of, like, what's always on their mind. Right, but... But I think like Brene Brown, who's a psychiatrist, she actually had a very interesting conversation with a bunch of college students. And one of them was talking about, uh, this girl was talking about how at, in her sex life, this guy was just always looking for her body and things like that. And another guy in there was like, that's not at all what we're looking for. That guy's just a butthead. What we're really looking for is like, it empowers us. It, it helps us feel connected. It helps us feel emotionally connected. Like it, it keeps us strong. And that, for him, like, it's not a visual thing. It's not just sex for sex's sake. Like, there's something more behind that. Again, that foreshadowing of, of the fullness of being known by God. And throughout the Bible, if it's sounding weird, like, the Bible uses these metaphors quite a bit. Uses the metaphors uh, between Israel and God. <laughs> Song of Solomon, you ever read that book? <laughs> have you ever read that book alongside a commentary that explains what's going on? Or should I say, what's going on? Because there's a lot of stuff going on in that book that um, I don't think you can read it in church. I mean, it's just, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> that book is raunchy, right? What are you supposed to do with a book like that? Like, why, why is this in the Bible? What are we supposed to do with Song of Solomon? Guess what the early Jews did with it around Jesus' time? They saw it as a metaphor between the Messiah 
and his people. They saw a relationship between God and his people. And if they could see that in that time, well, people are still doing that today. That all throughout history, some of the greatest saints throughout history, they saw the same thing. Teresa of Avila, she's one of my favorite saints, an old Christian mystic. And, and the way in which she writes about God is so intimate in such a way that you're like, wow, that's the kind of relationship that I want with God. How did she get there? And then you look at her life. And she gave up everything that she had to become a nun. She, be, she gave up any future possibility of a husband, of sex. Instead of pursuing intimacy and emotion and being known by another person on this earth, she instead pursued the intimacy and emotion and be, knowing by, be known by God. And so it almost kind of made sense that some of her language would kind of find what for us that feels like, well, that feels like sexual overtones. But for her, it's like, no, 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 I'm not perverting this at all. Teresa of Avila would be ticked if we thought she was perverting it. It's just when she's talking about her relationship with God, it's all that intimacy that this signpost is pointing to. She now becomes a signpost of the signpost of the real thing ahead of us. To the point that those of us who are married and having holy, wholesome sex actually start to realize, you know, maybe we've been doing sex wrong. <laughs> because we're not always finding that real kind of tangible emotional connection and being known by another person when we're pursuing sex, even within marriage. Sometimes it does just get physical. And then Teresa of Avila shows us, now there's something beyond that, something real. Even Paul. Paul pretty much gave up the same thing, right? He's running around everywhere trying to tell people the gospel, and he no longer is going to be able to pursue any time with a spouse. In fact, he's even preaching like, Jesus coming back any day, don't get married. Like, if you don't have to get married, don't get married, because he'll be back soon. <laughs> it's a good thing that they still got married or we wouldn't be here today. But like for Paul, he's running around trying to like just pursue God. And if, if you look at the language that Paul uses sometimes in the Greek, it has the same kind of poetic, emotional side to it of being known by God, this real intimacy to it in his own words. For example, there's a popular passage that gets quoted a lot that's about how uh, Jesus took on the form of a slave even though he was God and he emptied himself um, so that he could serve us. Uh, I read one book over the last few months uh, from one scholar that was trying to look at this language in a different right because uh, in a different light because all throughout his writing in this particular book, Paul keeps using this like poetic, romantic language. And he's got this kind of poetic, romantic language for the church, just like I love you all as family. You are my friends and family, and I am here with you. And then when he talks about Jesus, he, he talks about Jesus like not just emptying himself to take on the form of a slave, but it's almost as though Jesus melted away on our behalf. There's more of this like poetic, he loves you so much that even though he's God, he melted away into nothing so that he could love you more, to serve you. In fact, in ancient times, when the gods saw something that they wanted, they just took it. I mean, Zeus, in the time, you know, where they're 
In the time of the Bible, when he got people like Zeus, if Zeus sees a human that he wants to have, he just takes it. But with Jesus, he melts away serving us, trying to win us over, trying to romance us, as the Bible sometimes will kind of depict God as the husband and his people as the bride. Trying to romance us, come with us. Jesus extending his love out to us, his arm out to us, come with me. And so when we step back and we look at the whole Bible, like we, we begin to realize like sex might be for this current age. But as we look at it as a signpost to the greater things to which it points, the real thing ahead of us is coming. And it's what we're looking for. Yeah, I had a professor who I was talking about this uh, when I was in college and and he told me, Jamie, what people are looking for in sex is they're trying to find God. And I'm like, I don't get that. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. I think you're wrong. You know? Uh, but throughout the years, as I've thought about that more, and I realized, like, the real things that people are looking for in sex, like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because the greater things to which that points are the things that people are like, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. They just don't all know it. Look at all the songs written in the world, right? I mean, how many songs are about sex? People recognize that there's something very real about this conversation. They just don't recognize the fullness as to where it's headed. So I, I realize, again, these two topics sound weird going together, and I probably write it a whole lot better in the book in which I'm preaching at you because I'm not just trying to find words while I'm talking, and I know it's easier on a topic like this to kind of write it out ahead of time. But I, I want to encourage you, like when we're engaging in worship, like we're trying to get to the Holy of Holies. We're trying to get to the place on earth where God's presence dwelt. Because in the Bible, there were physical locations where God's presence was manifest. And those are the places when we're worshiping that we're trying to get to. God's presence is now inside of us. And I've seen people, when they come in contact with that Holy of Holies in God's presence inside of them, the things that are said there are beautiful. The things that are said there are powerful. And the things that are said there are life-changing. To be known and be fully known and still be loved, still be cared for, not be rejected. That's a powerful place. So again, as we worship in any time, be it hip-hop or, or acoustic or rock, whatever, those are moments to say, God, I know you're here with us. I know you're here in me. I know you're here in my brothers and sisters. May our uh, presence together where two or three are gathered, may we come in agreement that we want to find you. And as you come, would you begin to heal us? Would you begin to heal our minds? Would you begin to heal uh, our trajectories that those of us who feel lost would start to find like a real sense in you that those who um, may not even have a sex life like we sing that even they would know that there is intimacy with you beyond that that they can have the real intimacy that is you now regardless of finding a spouse in this life. In fact, in the Bible, 
God at one point in the Old Testament said that the eunuchs, like the eunuchs that followed him were going to get like a real blessing, like extra. Because they had already given up enough. So God, we come before you. We know that you are the real thing to which all things point to. And we don't come trying to pervert a message. We just recognize that, that you are love and that you love us. Now, when we find ourselves in that place with you, real tangible things happen that empower us and keep us moving forward to love you better every day. So we thank you. We thank you that you melted away for us on the cross, taking on the form of a servant. We thank you for all the expressions of the saints of old from Teresa to Paul showing us that those who had also given up such things found the real thing in you. And we pray that as we worship, in whatever sound it might be, that we would find your presence, that we would walk away changed, becoming all that you want us to be. Jesus' name, amen.